You are listening to the Unapologetically Fueled podcast, where we talk about cultivating food freedom, psychology, gut health, overcoming adversity, hearing inspirational stories, and how to truly live life unapologetically fueled. Hey, everybody, and welcome or welcome back to the show. This is the first episode I'm recording that is using the new little logo that I have. It is made by Hannah, and I will link her Instagram below. She is super talented and just has some great content. And so thank you so much, Hannah, for creating this new podcast logo. I absolutely love it. It's also the first episode where you're hearing the new intro. I just wanted to do kind of a little revamp. It's almost been a year of having this podcast, and wow, I am just feeling so blessed by all of you and this podcast. Of course, it's not a whole year yet, but um, I decided it was kind of time for a little update and redo. I'm also going to get a new microphone soon and just kind of um, up the quality a little bit. And so I have some really fun guests coming on soon and um, some really cool things to share with you guys. I'll try to do some more like solo episodes too, which a lot of you guys have been requesting as well. Just like a lot of like psychology related stuff. Um, And yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff to come, but I will do a one-year episode when that comes around. Anyway, today's episode is a solo episode and we're going to be discussing the topic of eating disorders, perfectionism, and endurance athletes. Um, It was NIDA week last week, and for those of you who may not know, um, NIDA stands for National Eating Disorders Association, Um, and so it was the NIDA Awareness Week, and it was really... There was a lot of stuff post, like posted on Instagram and social media about it. A lot of people just sharing their stories. And if you or um, have shared your story this Nita week, I just commend you and thank you for your vulnerability because um, sharing your story can be super, super hard and super, super... Um, it's tough to be vulnerable, so thank you for sharing. And if you did not feel comfortable sharing your story this time around, I mean, you can always share your story, and that's okay because, like I said, it's hard to share your story sometimes. So wherever you're at in your level of sharing or anything, um, just know that you are exactly where you need to be. So in honor of Need a Week, I got a lot of DMs from you guys asking about me or asking me to do an episode all about eating disorders especially in athletes and runners. So I figured, I'm like, yeah, this would be great because I've had a lot of questions um, come up about why is it that so many people, okay, there's a couple questions here. Why is it that so many people who recover from an eating disorder become an endurance athlete, right? There's that kind of pipeline. Or why do a lot of endurance athletes get eating disorders other than the fact that, you know, that myth that says lighter equals faster and body image issues, that's a whole thing we'll discuss in a little bit. But there seems to be this pipeline, right? Or this relationship between people who are super high achievers, you know, type A, they're getting all A's in school, they're like amazing endurance athletes, they're pro runners, whatever it is, um, cyclists, um, swimmers, triathletes, and eating disorder behaviors. It's... Um, The besides aesthetic sports like gymnastics and dance, those are also very, very um, uh, highly correlated with eating disorders. Endurance athletics is the third um, sport that is correlated with disordered eating. So um, there's a pretty strong relationship there. And a lot of you guys kind of asked me why this might happen um, from a psychological standpoint. So I am going to dive into the literature today like I love doing um, all of these 
facts that I am telling you guys are based off of evidence-based research. They use some good statistics. Everything is really highly studied. So again, um, this is not a causal like relationship a lot of these studies right so in research there's always that room for error that's why we never say we can prove anything in this in this world because you know there's always that room for error um so all of these facts that i'm saying just again take it to heart um but take it with a grain of salt too because this is very dependent on an individual's experience and um uh, yeah there's just a lot of individual factors so yes it's based on very strong research and it depends on each individual. Also, just to preface, this episode is going to be talking about eating disorders, eating disorder behaviors, um, and other mindsets surrounding food um, and eating disorders. So if this is going to be a topic that's going to be triggering for you, please, um, I would ask that you maybe don't listen to this episode and do something else instead or listen to another episode that you like. Um, take care of yourselves because I really care about all of you and I love you guys. So um, that was just a preface. But before we jump in to this whole relationship, I am first going to give you some statistics about eating disorders and what they are to kind of raise awareness um, in honor of Need a Week. So eating disorders, there's all sorts of types of eating disorders. Um, the three most common are anorexia nervosa, um, bulimia nervosa, and then um, avoidant restricted restrictive food intake disorder called ARFID. Um, and they're are different symptoms for each of those disorders. And I'm not gonna go into the symptoms of each of those disorders because that's not the focus of this episode, but I just wanted to kind of give you awareness of what they're called so you can look those up um, after this episode if you're interested in learning more about the symptoms of those. Um, but just, I guess, as a general, anorexia is a restriction of food intake. Um, bulimia is you eat and then you purge your food and then, uh, ARFID is when you restrict your food due to um, causes like the texture or something. It's not concerned about weight or shape. Um, but a lot of times, the reason why somebody's restricting food is not because of their body size. It's actually because of a sense of control, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so anyway, um, over 30 million Americans have an eating disorder diagnosed. That's a lot of Americans, you guys. Like, it's a very significant problem in the United States. It is the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses combined. So there are many different mental illnesses. I have the DSM-5 right now sitting next to me, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. We use this when we're making diagnoses for patients um, who come in for assessments. And this has a list of all the mental illnesses and all the mental disorders that you can have. There are tons of them. And eating disorders have the highest mortality rate. This is due to suicide. This is also due to um, the medical complications that come from eating disorders because food is a vital part of human functioning in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It is that base of the pyramid. We need to be fed. We need to be safe um, in order to achieve our highest potential. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's very deadly. Um, and uh, some symptoms of eating disorders. So there's psychological and physical and social symptoms. So some psychological symptoms are preoccupation with what you're eating, um, having food rituals, right? So only eating, eating certain things, only eating at certain times of day, um, eating a certain amount of uh, energy or calories per day, um, avoiding certain foods because you think they're bad, um, 
avoiding certain brands maybe. So really just being very rigid around your foods, only eating clean foods. Um, that's a more orthorexia symptom that is not in the DSM-5, but they're looking to add that soon um, because it is a significant um, eating disorder. So um, that's another one that I didn't touch on up there, but um, it's not in the DSM-5 right now, but they're looking to add it like I just said. So basically symptoms is like preoccupation around what you're eating and having a very rigid controlled routine. Some physical symptoms, there are significant physical consequences of having an eating disorder. Um, this is feeling cold all the time, thin hair, brittle nails, um, having a very low heart rate. Um, if you are, um, there, that's a caveat because I know a lot of endurance athletes do have very low heart rates, but that's because they're fed. There's a difference. So um, if you are struggling with an eating disorder um, and you have a low heart rate, when you go from sitting to standing, your heart rate goes from bradycardia to tachycardia, which is goes from very, very low, so below like 45 to very, very high, which is above like 120. So that's from sitting to standing if your heart is weak. If you are an endurance athlete, you might have a very, very low heart rate, and that is a normal thing. Um, but when you go from sitting to standing, your heart rate doesn't jump up into above 120. It stays within a range of, um, let's say like, 20 to 30 beats, right? So it doesn't go crazy. You feel fine. That is another caveat too. A lot of you asked me about was heart rate um, and eating disorders. Um, also, you uh, some physical consequences of having an eating disorder is slowing your metabolism. Your metabolism, when you aren't getting enough food in, it decreases. It says, okay, I'm not getting enough food, so I can't burn as much. And then you stop to, uh, you don't metabolize things as well. You can have gut issues. Um, you have a missing period. Your entire body systems are affected. You also have kidney problems, liver damage. Um, your brain, actually, your white matter decreases by anywhere from 5 to 20%. So I just posted a reel on my Instagram a few days ago about how eating disorders affect the brain. Um, and it actually slows your cognitive function. It slows, um, it increases your risk for Alzheimer's disease and stroke. Um, and you actually perform at a lower IQ than you're really at, which is super, super interesting. Um, other physical consequences, you have poor sleep. You cannot sleep throughout the night. Um, you might go to the bathroom a lot, um, pee a lot, because your body just can't process that. Um, those are just some of the physical consequences. But there are many, many more that are not talked about. Um, as much. And um, of course, if you're experiencing any of those physical or psychological symptoms, I highly suggest reaching out for help because it's early to catch sooner than later. And of course, some social symptoms, there's social isolation, um, which again is connected to our brain health. So when we have eating disorders, we have less serotonin, which is our neurotransmitter responsible for happiness. We also have less oxytocin, which is our neurotransmitter responsible for social connection. So we physiologically feel less of a desire to connect with others. Um, and we don't feel as much joy when we are undernourished, which is, um, it's terrible. So, cause we're meant to be with others and be in a social environment. So anyway, um, long story long, I guess those are just some symptoms of eating disorders that you should be aware of. Um, and of course, seek out for help from a professional. If you do experience any of these again, I do want to preface in this episode, I do this with every episode, but I just want to make sure it is stated every single time. I am not a doctor yet. I am a PhD student and I am training to be a doctor, but this does not mean I am a medical professional yet. So um, I am training and I do see clients, but this is under supervision of a licensed psychologist, um, a licensed clinical health psychologist. So um, please, 
if you are struggling, like I'm more than happy to guide you to a professional or give you advice, but I'm not, I cannot see um, people at this point. So, um, and I'm not a professional yet, so I'm still learning. So please take that. Um, and I just wanted to put that out there again. <laughs> um, okay. So eating disorders, as we know, they're super common in athletes, right? Um, it seems like a lot of people in both the running community and just the athletic community in general on Instagram, a lot of them have struggled with an eating disorder. I noticed how a lot of posts this year um, on Instagram and everything were all about um, athletes sharing their stories about how they overcame their eating disorders. And it was beautiful to see just the community come together and support one another about that. But there's a significant link, right? Um, so one study showed that 33%, so that's one third of D1 athletes had an eating disorder diagnosed one third guys. That's a lot. One third is like almost a half of people. So when you are, let's say you're going to a track meet, you're on a track team, right? And there's a team of 10 people, maybe. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty small team. Let's say there's a team of 10 that you're competing against, right? three, about three to four of those people are probably struggling with an eating disorder, um, or three, three to four out of 10 of those people. So that's quite a bit of athletes that struggle with eating disorders. Um, both men and women athletes are affected, right? We typically think of eating disorders as only a woman thing, right? Especially with being, um, in like dance or gymnastics, some of those more aesthetic sports, but men are also just as at risk. A lot of times this kind of goes, um, untalked about just because men feel shame and stigma around it. But a lot of times men who are in aesthetic sports, such as wrestling, they tend to be at risk for eating disorders. Um, it's more women in the endurance sports worlds, but um, men tend to be at risk too. Or if they're really involved in like athletics, um, lifting and, um, or not athletics, I'm sorry, like aesthetics and lifting and bodybuilding, that is a significant risk for an eating disorder in a male as well. Um, and also uh, female and female high school athletes too. So the D1 athletes that was in college, um, about 41.5% had disordered eating and were eight times more likely to get an injury. This is disordered eating. So this is not a diagnosed eating disorder. Some of them did have diagnosed eating disorders, but that's again, almost half of high school athletes had some sort of disordered eating and their injury risk was so high. And so of course there's a correlation there. And a lot of other studies have shown, you know, that having an eating disorder um, puts you about at four to eight times the risk of developing a fracture. And we know that because another physical symptom, which I didn't mention up there is low bone density. Your bones are brittle and weak. And so, you know, overuse, like overusing them, falling on them, you're more likely to break them which is just, um, it's obviously nobody likes to be injured. Um, so you are much more likely to get an injury if you do have an eating disorder. Um, and overall, just in general, 25% um, of all athletes, this is taking into account college, high school, competitive, recreational, adults, all the way up to like age 85 have disordered eating, 25% of people. Um, and so that's kind of the statistics and prevalence rates in athletes. I did struggle with an eating disorder, as you guys know, um, and I had to go to residential treatment for um, quite a few months, and I was an athlete at the time. I was a dancer. I was also coming off of a long career of gymnastics, so this was before I got into running, um, but that was, I mean, my sport was definitely something that contributed to it. Um, it was a lot of 
more of a sense of like control thing, which we'll talk about in a second with perfectionism. But from my experience, it was when you deal with an eating disorder and you lose weight, if that's a symptom that you experience as weight loss, you do get reinforced for it in the athletic world. And that can unconsciously predispose you to want more weight loss and to engage in those behaviors. Um, And that's kind of what happened with me. And so that is a way that athletes have more eating disorders. But again, we'll talk about this in a minute. So having an eating disorder is highly comorbid. This means that if you are diagnosed with an eating disorder, you're more likely to be diagnosed with another mental illness. So there's a high comorbidity with anxiety and depression, um, which is pretty typical. A lot of mental illnesses have comorbidities with anxiety and depression and anxiety and depression combined having more of like a anxious, depressed type of like um, mood is called something called neuroticism and it's a personality trait and we're going to come back to that and why that's important. It doesn't mean... I mean, that's kind of where the quote-unquote term neurotic came from, but neuroticism is one of the big five personality traits, um, and it puts you at, it's just basically being a little bit more on edge, anxious, and depressed than usual. But the other highest comorbidity rate of eating disorders is something called obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. So there's OCD, which is obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, and then there's obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. Um, Obsessive-compulsive disorder is considered an anxiety disorder. Um, well, it was in the DSM-4. In the DSM-5, it actually moved to its own little like branch of things called obsessive-compulsive and like other type of disorders like that, like trichotillomania, which is like hair-pulling disorder. Um, but anyway, I digress on that. But it is not considered a personality disorder. Obsessive-compulsive personality disorder is a personality disorder. Um, and this basically in sum is somebody who is has an excessive preoccupation with perfectionism control and organization so they're very rigid they want to maintain a certain routine they want to maintain a certain schedule Um, everything kind of has to go according to their plan um, and just being in control of everything in your life so making sure that everything is perfect it's really tied to perfectionism so Um, that is a very high comorbidity with eating disorders. And as we see, those who have eating disorders tend to be very rigid around their food, right? Going back to those symptoms, um, having OCPD puts you at risk for, um, being, wanting to be in control of your food choices, um, and being in control of the times that you eat and what you eat and where you eat and when you eat, um, and all that stuff. So, a huge contributor to obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and this is not just this is not saying too that you have OCPD if you are excessively like rigid. You can have obsessive compulsive personality traits, which is you know being wanting to be in control, wanting to maintain a rigid routine, being perfectionistic. But it does not mean you have the disorder because you have to meet a whole different criteria to. Um, like a ton of criteria to have a disorder of that. So I don't want you to take all of these symptoms and every, or like all of these little like tidbits of other disorders and saying, oh, I have all these disorders. If you do think you have one, go see a professional. So um, that's kind of an overview of eating disorders and their comorbidities and how it ties to this personality trait, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Now let's talk about perfectionism quickly before we talk about the connection between perfectionism and eating disorders, um, personality traits and perfectionism and stuff like that. So perfectionism, right? I'm sure a lot of us listening are pretty familiar with it. I 
am a recovering perfectionist, I like to call it. Um, a lot of people who are um, high achievers and they go in, in they're, you know, endurance athletes and they set high goals for themselves, they're perfectionists. I have been a perfectionist my whole life. And that is something that, that's a personality trait in me that I have had. And I know that a lot of you who are listening also have dealt with perfectionism throughout their life, right? And it can be good and it can be bad. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but basically perfectionism, right? Overall, it's just a person's concern for striving for flawlessness and perfection, right? You set really high standards for yourself. You want everything to be perfect. You don't want to make a mistake when you don't meet the standards that you set for yourself, right? So you create some sort of standard. It could be high. It could be normal. It could be, I am going to make sure that my Buddha bowl tonight looks perfect, right? I'm going to put the potatoes all together like this. I'm going to make sure the drizzle is just flawless. And I am going to put like the broccoli all together and it's going to look beautiful, right? And if you don't meet that standard, you get really mad at yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, like shoot, my Buddha bowl looks so gross or whatever. Um, or you could be cleaning your house and say, I'm going to clean my entire apartment, my entire house within like the next couple of hours. And if you don't clean everything at once, you're going to get super upset with yourself and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. You kind of fall into that negative spiral of mindset. Or maybe it's in school. You say, I studied super, super hard for this exam. I'm going to get all A's. I'm going to get a 4.0. And if you get an A minus or something like that, you get really upset with yourself. Um, and those are some symptoms of perfectionism or in the endurance world, in the um, athletic world, you set a high performance goal. So whether you're a gymnast, whether you're a tennis player, whether you're a runner or dancer or biker, triathlete, you lift weights, whatever it is, you set a goal for yourself. So say, okay, today, right, last week I squatted 160 pounds. So this week I'm going to squat 165 pounds. And if you just can't do it with good form, like you get upset with yourself and you feel like you've kind of let yourself down or again, I'm going to run a PR at this race. And if you don't, you really beat yourself up over it. Um, and so those are symptoms of perfectionism in the athletic world. So there are two different types of perfectionism. There's adaptive perfectionism. This is setting reasonable goals. Um, this is setting goals that you feel like you can achieve and you're flexible around the goals, right? So let's go off of the PR example with running. Um, we're a great example, right? So you say, Okay, I ran, let's say I let's say your goal is to run a 30 minute 5k. Um, and you recently ran a 35 minute 5k, and that's your PR. So let's say that you go into a race and you say, I really want to run a PR, and you don't name what time you want. You just say, I want to run a PR, and um, that's my goal. Maybe like a 34 minute 5k. Maybe you have that like idea in your head and let's say you don't run your PR. Let's say you run a 35 again or even a 36 or 37. It's just not your day. Um, you're okay with that and say, okay, well I didn't run my PR. I didn't run my goal, but like, that's okay. Like I didn't achieve my goal and I can learn and move forward from there. Um, but if you're somebody who wants to run a 30 minute 5k and you just ran a 35 minute 5k, you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to run my 30 minute 5k at this race. And if I don't do that, I'm going to be really upset with myself and I'm going to give up and all this stuff. And maybe you don't run that 30 minute 5k. You either give up one or you start to overtrain yourself to try and run that 30 minute 5k. So that's 
maladaptive perfectionism. But can you see kind of the difference about how adaptive is like you set this goal and it's reasonable, right? A 34 minute 5K, cool. That's great, that's reasonable. And if you don't achieve it, that's okay too. Because guess what? No matter if you achieve your goals or not, the world keeps on turning and your worth is not defined by your goals. You are still the same person as you were when you ran a 34 minute 5K a 30 minute 5k or a 35 minute 5k. Same thing with your grades. If you get an A, cool, that's awesome. If you get a C, cool, that's awesome. You are still the same person, same loved. God loves you no less if you get a C or an A, okay? These standards for perfectionism are very, very arbitrary and they're very subjective according to us. Um, and that's just, yeah, it's perfectionism is hard. And for those of you listening in who resonate with this so much, like I feel for you and I've been there, I've done that and it is tough. It's really tough. And I know that um, there are many ways that we can work through perfectionism. So overall, there's adaptive and that maladaptive perfectionism. Um, and so, yeah, you can be a perfectionist and set good goals um, and you can use that to your advantage and, you know, try to strive for excellence. But then, of course, it can be very detrimental. And that's where it comes into eating disorders. So um, there is a high, very, very high correlation between perfectionism and eating disorders, right? So we kind of know this. If you are in the Instagram community of you know, food bloggers, runners, lifters, um, who have recovered from an eating disorder. It's a very like niche, like community. Um, and if you know, you know, there's a lot of qualified individuals in this community who are amazing. Um, and they post about this. Um, and there's also people in the community who are still actively dealing with eating disorders, but there's a huge link between people who have recovered from an eating disorder, have either taken up lifting or running, um, and to post about their food now. I'm one of them. I have recovered from my eating disorder. I became a runner and now I post these delicious recipes because I'm like, oh, I love food now and I love cooking. And you know, I mean, it's a very niche area. So there's a high link between these two things. And a lot of us in this community are perfectionistic type A people. And that's just a thing. Um, and it's that's why when you meet new people online, in this community, you're like, oh my gosh, we have so much in common, right? Like, it's crazy. Like, we're very, very similar. So there's a few reasons why perfectionism is linked to eating disorders. Perfectionism puts you significantly at risk for developing an eating disorder. It increases your odds by about five, oh no, five, yeah, five to six times more likely to develop an eating disorder if you hold perfectionistic standards, or of course, if you have obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So Again, someone with obsessive compulsive personality disorder and perfectionism, they want to be perfect in their routine and rigid. Again, can you see kind of how that translates to eating disorders? So people who are perfectionists, they don't hold standards within just their performance goals or just their um, academic goals. They hold high standards in every area of their life, right? So yes, you're going to set high academic standards for yourself. You're going to set high performance standards for yourself but you're also going to set high expectations in other areas like your health. You're gonna say, I want my health to be perfect. People who are perfectionists like control, especially you have obsessive compulsive 
personality tendencies. I'm going to say, I can control my health perfectly. I can control my relationships perfectly. I'm going to have the perfect social life. I'm going to be the perfect child, mom, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, uncle, whatever you name it. I am going to have the perfect diet. I am going to have the perfect hydration. I am going to have the perfect room, the perfect notes, the perfect everything, the perfect clothes, hair, the perfect appearance, right? So people, when you are, when people are perfectionists, you want to be perfect in your health. You want to be perfect in your body. You want to have the perfect appearance. You want to be known as the person who has the perfect everything. Even when inside, things might not be so perfect. Oftentimes, perfectionism is a way to mask what's going on underneath when you really don't want to address some emotions that um, sometimes are scary to feel. So when you have these high standards in life, let's say somebody's really invested in their health and they say, I want to have perfect health. They go online or they do their research and they say, okay, what are the healthiest foods to eat? How can I best take control of my health? The first thing that pops up online, right, is eat less and exercise more. Eat only vegetables and fruit and just exercise more. So they say, okay, well, to be perfect, I just need to eat vegetables and fruit and exercise more and eat less. So they start doing that. They say, I'm taking control of my health. I'm doing this because it's a healthy thing to do. I'm doing this because of personal, like, I just care about my health. You know, a lot of times it starts very, very innocently. Or they say, I want to have the perfect appearance. And then you Google, how do I look toned, lose weight? The first thing that pops up is eat 1,200 calories and exercise more. That is so far from the truth we know in science. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. But people follow this. And you say, it's again, it's innocent at first. It's very innocent. You say, I want to be healthy. I want to look a certain way. Let's just start. I'll just, I'll just change my diet a little bit. But then you start to engage in these behaviors. You start to eat a different way. Your body starts to change. You start to notice things. And perfectionists, they tend to have something called an addictive personality. Um, it is not a, like, quote-unquote, identified, like, established personality yet. They are working on incorporating that into the DSM I don't even know that oh the DSM like six they just did the five like revised but I don't it's something that's been like debated in the literature of psychology for a while what if addiction is a personality trait or if it just falls into OCPD so you start engaging in these behaviors you start eating just a little bit healthier and you notice you're starting to get compliments maybe people are saying you are so disciplined you're so healthy and you say that's my goal I want to be perfect I want to have the perfect health I want to have all this stuff and so you start to notice those things and then you say you know I kind of want more I kind of want to I kind of want to be more perfect because with perfectionism nothing is ever enough that's another sign of being a perfectionist you might get a 98 on an assignment but I didn't get an 100 you might get an 100 on an assignment but I didn't get as many comments as I usually do you might race a PR oh but I didn't I didn't race a bigger PR nothing is ever enough when you're a perfectionist so you start getting these compliments like I said and let's say you have an addictive personality people with an addictive personality they have a love of excitement you crave a dopamine rush and 
this personality trait is very tied to like substance abuse disorders um, who this isn't in context of substance abuse right now this is more just in terms of like food and exercise and um, eating disorders but that's a whole nother area of research anything that increases your dopamine which is the hormone that gives us pleasure and excitement you want you crave it and you want more and more and more every time you do it so people who are perfectionists they tend to get a dopamine rush when you achieve your high standards and that dopamine rush feeds into it just it feeds it feeds itself so you get this dopamine rush and you achieve your perfect standards you say i got an 100 and all the comments i wanted so you get that dopamine rush but you say oh but i i didn't get another comment and you say you want more dopamine or you raise your pr and you get that dopamine rush and you say i want more dopamine your brain does so your brain says i want more dopamine and that translates in your head to i want a bigger pr the same thing applies to food and exercise, right? Because you need more and more because the brain desensitizes to the reward system. So the more times you trigger that dopamine pathway, the more it needs in order to have the same effect. So when you have an addictive personality, you have an inability to quit. You want more and more. You want to run farther. You want to run faster. You want to eat less. You want to lose more weight. So like I said, the same thing applies to food. Once you start noticing that people are giving you comments about how perfect your diet is, you feel like you're in control of your diet. You want to feel more in control. You start eating the foods that the internet says is good or that you, that you consider yourself perfect. You eat the certain calories that people consider that's perfect and you say, wow, I feel so perfect, I'm achieving my high standards, I'm losing weight, I have the most control, but you say, but I want more, I want more control. So now it turns from healthy eating to, okay, how can I eat even less to trigger the same dopamine response? Then you figure out how to eat less and the dopamine response kicks again in your brain. And this ultimately leads to an inverse dopamine relationship with food. So instead of eating your, typically humans have a dopamine response um, to food and we get pleasure when we eat. You taste a bite of chocolate and your brain's like, mm, yum, give me more. But people with eating disorders actually get a dopamine rush when they restrict food. And this is because of that inverted dopamine pathway that you have after restricting for long periods of time and that maladaptive perfectionism. So you get this dopamine rush, you restrict less and less and less and less, and all of a sudden, nothing is ever enough. And you are in a full-blown eating disorder. Same thing happens with weight. You let's say your goal is to lose a little bit of weight because you want to be in control of that. You want to have the perfect weight. You lose that weight. You're at the perfect weight you said you would be at. But then you need more of that dopamine to feel good. And so you say, I need to lose more weight. And that's why it becomes an addiction to weight loss. It becomes an addiction to stop eating. And you have that inability to quit. You want more and more and more. And your brain has literally rewired itself to want to be more perfect and by doing so, it restricts food. And that's why that whole addiction cycle happens. And also, just a fun fact, kind of a side note, a lot of people have been wondering why body image gets better after you gain weight, even though that's what your brain doesn't think. So when you're super underweight, your brain thinks, I'm never gonna have good body image, gaining weight's gonna be the worst thing ever, but actually it's so 
good because when you gain weight, those dopamine pathways get reverted, your energy levels come up, your serotonin levels come up, and you feel more positive about yourself. So that's just a fun fact is that actually gaining weight does improve body image. So that's how perfectionism, wanting more, wanting to adhere to a routine, impacts eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors because people want to be perfect in all areas of their life. Now, tying perfectionism to athletes and runners first and endurance athletes especially. So first I kind of want to talk about endurance athletes and the addictive personality and perfectionism. So we notice, right, that there is a lot of like I've mentioned quite a few times in this episode before, people who were recovered from an eating disorder and now they run or lift. The same type of brain pathway is actually applies to this. So let's take the example of a runner or cyclist because or a triathlete because this tends to be the athletes that we see this most in, I guess, in the literature. So runners, they tend to be perfectionistic. You want, you're always trying to chase a PR. You're always trying to chase a faster time. You want to run longer, faster. There's always a goal to be set when you're running. And that same pathway that was associated with you losing weight and restricting your food is now manifesting itself in your sport. So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to be perfect in food, whatever, um, now your brain says, I'm going to have my perfect times. I'm going to have my perfect training cycle. I'm going to have the perfect workout today. And if I don't hit it, I'm going to be really hard on myself. And um, that is something that we see in runners. Or you say, I'm not going to take any days off because I want to run every single day. I want to run as much as I can. You go for your run. You feel that endorphin high and you say, I want more. So then you run and run and run and run and then you get injured. Of course, there's maladaptive consequences, but I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. If you do it in a healthy way, obviously you want to take rest days and give your body time off. But I mean, if you are using your perfectionistic mindset to chase PRs rather than chasing weight loss, that's a much more healthier thing to do. However, this can be taken to the extreme and it can lead to exercise addiction because that need for control, rigidity, and perfectionism was in different areas of your life and is in athletics, you might now become addicted to moving a certain amount. Now that same pathway that's triggered in all other areas of your life, that perfectionistic, that obsessive mindset is translating to your fitness. It's saying, I need to run a certain pace. I need to hit a certain step goal. I need to work out a certain amount of time per day. I need to run a certain amount of miles per week. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to lift a certain weight. I need to lift uh, this many times per week. Whatever your sport is, that's what happens. Um, and again, it's very popular in endurance athletes. So can you see the connection here between perfectionism, eating disorders, and athletics? Maybe somebody is not recovered from their eating disorder yet. Maybe they're actively struggling with their eating disorder and they're an endurance athlete or they lift or they're just an active person in general. Their mindset is going to be the same because this perfectionism, this type A personality translates to many areas of the life. So not only are they restricting their food 
but they're also engaging in compulsive addictive exercise they're overtraining themselves because they want to be perfect at their sport and they want to lose weight and they want to have a perfect diet and those two things do not go well together so when your perfectionistic mindset is both applying to your diet and your exercise, that is like the perfect combination, the perfect recipe for dealing with red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sports. And that is basically the biggest concoction for an injury. Um, so that's the link between those two things and how maladaptive that can be when it's taken to the extreme in both extents. So all not all, but most runners, most endurance athletes have this type A part of their brain that says, I want more. I want to go longer, faster, further. That also puts you at risk for an eating disorder. This is also a genetic component that is associated with addictive disorders. So if you have a family member that had an addiction, you are more likely to <laughs> feel kind of, um, become an endurance athlete and have these high standards for yourself and be a perfectionism and have that kind of addictive mindset with sports or eating there is a genetic link between eating disorders and addictive disorders too because it is that same pathway but instead of being a um, addict using your substance to cope with your like addictive personality you use weight loss or food um, or exercise so those are other things that it can be manifested in addiction isn't just one thing it's not a substance it's to anything there are people who are addicted to chocolate there are people who are addicted to walking running people who are addicted to eating people who are addicted to um tiktok kind of me actually tiktok yeah <laughs> just kidding i actually gave gave it up for lent uh, well gave it up before bed for lent i still watch a little bit in the morning anyway i digress so <laughs> Another thing that, okay, let's, let's just start talking about more perfectionism in athletes too. I know we were kind of just talking about the link between eating disorders, perfectionism, and athletes, but let's just talk about it in athletes. So endurance athletes actually tend to be higher in a personality trait, like I said before, called neuroticism. And this is being a little bit more anxious and depressed in general. So people who are athletes tend to be more in tune with their mind, their emotions, what they're feeling, and they tend to feel a little bit more anxiety. A lot of endurance athletes actually like pick up running um, to manage some of those negative emotions because people who have higher levels of anxiety and perfectionism, it's hard to cope with those sometimes because things can feel overwhelming. The first, when I started running was after recovery and I was like, I wanted to get into a sport again. And I also was dealing with significant anxiety. It was uh, the COVID year and I was just super stressed out and I was talking with my therapist and I was like, I don't know what to do. She's like, maybe try, try running. Like you love being active. I was in a healthy spot at that point, um, in recovery. And she's like, try going for a run. She's like, it really helps me. And a lot of, so I've had a couple therapists personally in my life and also therapy is awesome guys. Like therapists go to therapists and they're fantastic. But, um, so yes, even though I am a clinical psychology, um, PhD student, I love seeing a therapist. They're fantastic and they can help you in many areas of your life. And she was like, try going for a run. Cause like both of the therapists that I've had in my life, um, one, when I was a little bit younger in high school. And then when I was in college, she was like, they both were runners and <laughs> they loved it. I was like, oh cool. Like they really can help me manage their emotions. So they told me they're like, go for a run. So I did. And I was like, wow. 
I love that. I ran to the post, like the lamppost in my driveway, and it was probably like a quarter mile, and I was so proud of myself, and I said, I actually feel so cool. Maybe I can go further faster. So again, you see that perfectionism, like wanting more addictive mindset there in a runner is you can go further faster. It's a goal-oriented thing. However, again, that can be used in a healthy way. You want more, but in a healthy way. So um, that's why endurance athletes a lot of times pick up their sport. Maybe a lot of there's a lot of stories about people who recover from um, addictions to substances and they become endurance athletes because it's a way to cope with the high neuroticism. High neuroticism is also associated with many mental illnesses such as substance use and eating disorders. So when somebody's struggling with an eating disorder, they also are struggling with neuroticism and they might use their diet to cope with the feelings of anxiety and depression and or perfectionism. They set these high standards for themselves and instead of expressing their emotions and letting people know how they feel, instead they restrict their food to kind of manage that. And same thing with substances. A lot of people who set really high standards for themselves are perfectionists, are anxious, or they're depressed, or they feel just overwhelmed. They're gonna use substances to cope with that. But athletes, endurance athletes, they realize, okay, maybe those aren't so healthy. Instead, they turn to a sport to cope with that. And again, it can be healthy. It's a very healthy, healthy coping mechanism. But if you take it to the extreme, it can become unhealthy. So everything in moderation, besides abusing substances and restricting your food intake. Okay, so endurance athletes in general, higher neuroticism and linked to eating disorders and more in tune with mental processes. So that's one link between perfectionism and endurance athletes. Why are so many endurance athletes perfectionists and recovering from, or recovered, recovering, in recovery, whatever, from an eating disorder? Endurance athletes, sorry, that was a big sigh. Um, like I said, endurance athletes tend to hold that addictive mindset, personality-wise. They need to ride, run, swim longer, harder, run faster, further, whatever it is. And you need more and more and more to get that same dopamine release. So that runner's high, that endurance high, like I have I did a whole podcast episode on that, the neuroscience of the runner's high. It is a thing and it feels so good and it is really, really good for your mental health. Running does wonders to your brain, so good. And it is addictive and that's just a thing. And um, when you use that runner's high and instead you turn your addictive mindset or like your need for like running, cycling, whatever it is to like high achieving, that can become more perfectionistic, like always needing to achieve a PR. And then if you don't get a PR, you get really mad at yourself. So also perfectionism is linked to athletes and eating disorders because you're really, really hard on yourself when you don't achieve your like standards. So Let's say your goal is to run a PR at your next race or win the race or whatever it is or run your longest run or ride your longest ride and you don't. Some people who don't have a healthy relationship with food will restrict food in order to punish themselves. And that's another reason why eating disorders can develop easily in endurance athletes. And then, so overall, there's that big connection, right? So there's this general personality trait to be perfectionistic, have a need for control, and very rigid around things. This translates to food and eating disorders. This translates to 
running, it translates to biking, it translates to your sport, it translates to every area of your life. So this one personality trait is linking these things together. It's linking the eating disorder and it's linking the running. It's linking the cycling. Like I've, I've literally said running and cycling so many times on this podcast. So it's linking your sport. I'll just say your sport from now on because I think you guys know what I'm talking about, but it really does apply to every sport. So that's kind of why people in recovery from eating disorders fall into this category now. So people realize after you've recovered from your eating disorder that their behaviors around food were not healthy. You realize that it's detrimental. It's a bad way to cope with the neuroticism. It's not a healthy need for control because that need for control and rigidity and perfectionism goes so far as to harm you. And you say, how can I use this personality trait to my benefit? And then you take up a sport and you are thriving in your sport and you're doing great. Of course, if it's taken to the extreme, it can be harmful. But if you manage this in a healthy way and you use your sport with adequate recovery to help manage your perfectionism and your anxiety, it can be really, really good. It can be great. It can lead to PRs and success and other areas. But you do have to be mindful that when you don't achieve your goals, when you don't achieve your high standards, that you're flexible with that. So making sure that you're using your perfectionism and your type A personality to a benefit rather than something that's going to harm you because there's also psychological harm and we want to be mindful of not causing that. So take this personality trait, this type A behavior, this perfectionism, achieve your high goals or not achieve, well set these high goals, want to achieve them, desire to achieve them and be okay if they don't happen and be okay with working hard to achieve them and be flexible because that's what it's all about. So to kind of sum up, um, the greatest risk factor for disordered eating in athletes is perfectionism. So we know that there's a high link between athletes and eating disorders, and yeah, that most high risk factor is perfectionism. And another thing, too, to just briefly touch on about disordered eating is exercise addiction, which is significantly seen in eating disorders, and um, people with eating disorders are four times more likely to become addicted to exercise, which kind of ties in together everything that we just talked about. So make sure that you're using your personality trait, this perfectionism, to your advantage and not something that's going to harm you or um, psychologically or physically. So all in all, this, yeah, that is kind of where the research is at in this field. There's a lot more that needs to be done on this, especially linking these things and linking risk factors more um, and more genetic things too, because there is a genetic predisposition for all of these things. Um, and it is kind of like universal. So if you're at a genetic risk for one disorder or one trait, you're going to be at a genetic risk for other traits, etc. But there's a lot of research needed in this field. And that is to kind of sum up what um, the research shows now. And I hope I was able to answer some of your questions related to this. I get a ton of DMs about this and um, asking about this. So I really hope this was helpful. I hope you kind of were able to follow along. I know I kind of jumped all over the place, but that's just where everything's at now. And I again want to say if you are struggling with any of these behaviors that you think are causing you harm or sadness or distress in your life, please seek out for help because I love you and I care about you and you deserve to experience joy and happiness 
in all areas of your life. And just know that you are not defined by your performance in school, in your sport, in life, in your diet. You are defined by being a beloved child of God. And no matter who you are, where you are, your performance does not determine your worth. So I just want to let you know that. And I hope you all have a wonderful couple of weeks. I have some fun guests coming up, so I'm very excited about that. And as always, please reach out to me. Follow me on Instagram, on Athletes Apron, and DM me anytime you want to chat or have any questions. I love hearing from you guys. And thank you for listening to another episode, and have a wonderful day.